the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Monday, October 4th, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is a special edition of Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. Today's episode is brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. Stay Ready Gear holsters are available on stayreadygear.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. You can find them on Instagram, on Facebook, and at manrubs.com. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear can be found, as always, at Odyssey. Odyssey.com. They're available on Facebook and Instagram as well. Check them out. West Coast Survival Arms. Keep your pew-pew straight. Mm. You need some ammo? Mike's got that, too. He's at westcoastsurvivalarms.com, newly redesigned website. He's on Facebook Messenger and at 619-870-6992. And then Tactical Gear Done Right. For all of our first responders, mediocremedic.com. Check them out. Pretty Fire Instagram. And then Mark Joe Friday, home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Dumpbox. Dumpbox.us. They're on Facebook. And they're on Instagram as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Special edition, Monday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 69. I'm Roan, and I'm joined today by Noah. What's up? Antoinette had a doctor's appointment. And in just a brief moment, we'll be joined by a very special guest. All right, our guest today special edition of Steak for Breakfast. He doesn't really need an introduction, and it's kind of hard to find something he doesn't do. He's an author, a journalist, political contributor, and consultant. He's written a book, and you've seen him on shows appearing with everyone from Buck Sexton, Tucker Carlson Tonight. He's a regular contributor at the Washington Examiner. Mr. Ryan Jardusky, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, and believe me, we've been... Uh, you know, watching a lot of your commentary for quite some time and, and seeing a lot of your contributions really trying to uh, not build back better, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I looking at the stock market in my, in my 401k every day and my gas prices and my food <sighs> price, I'm really not exactly sure what we're building back better towards. But um, Communism? It's, uh, it's rough in these streets. <laughs> Yeah, it sure is. Um, let's cover a couple things with you first. What are you doing? Like, I, I know you got your hands on a bunch of different things, but what, what are some of the, the bigger things you're working on right now? So I'm a consultant, so I work on campaigns. I'm on four campaigns right now. The most well-known is I work for J.D. Vance's Senate Super PAC. Okay. Um, I also do a house. I'm, I'm, I think I'm signing with a house race in Iowa. I do the Secretary of State race in Alabama. Uh, I'm involved in several other projects, and I have a super PAC for school board elections, the first ever national super PAC for school board elections. 
So we're getting gearing up to send our mailers out to voters in school districts and 29 school district for 50 candidates. Um, and then I'm working on my second book. And, um, and uh, I mean, it's, that's, I mean, that's what I'm doing right this second. And I have a few other things in the coal and in the, in the, in the, in a few other coals in the fire. Well, let's touch on those two things first. You talked about your uh, super PAC. Is that the anti or against critical race theory one you're a part of? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's the only one in the country that does it against critical race theory That's on, a, a, on a national level. Yeah, that is a huge component of what our, our listenership is uh, all about. You know, we're an America First Agenda program, and we have been for the entirety of our operation. Why don't you tell us about that super PAC? So it's called the 1776 Project PAC, 1776projectpack.com. We've endorsed 50 candidates in 29 different school boards in seven states, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Ohio, Kansas, Colorado, and Minnesota. We're doing a bunch of ads and, and messaging and uh, mailers for them right now. We're working on it to get it out by the end of the month before Election Day is, starts. Um and we are we. I, I personally interviewed every candidate that I've endorsed um, to talk about education and critical race theory. And the goal is to take over school boards and to really have um, voices on school boards to counter activists, to counter um, progressives, and what the left is pushing. And um, I think this is how we get a hold of our education system in a real fundamental way. You know, the right for the last I don't know half century hasn't been just ignoring education as a whole. They talk either about school choice, which in the case of charter schools still have to abide by a lot of the standards set by the by the uh, school board and or how college indoctrinates people, which is yeah. true, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have an answer to it. And I mean, I, I you know, even with COVID, even with everything that happened last year, a majority of school children still attend public school in this country. I think that's the way it will always be for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And we need to do what we can to enhance um, their education and to give a voice to pu to public school parents and charter school parents who, you know, they, they have no voice in the in the school system. So school boards have the power to hire superintendents that create um, certain standards when it comes to um, things like diversity. They bring in they they purchase the textbooks, which is super important not to not to buy woke textbooks. Right. They. They, they are in charge of the budget. They, there's a school district in North Carolina. They're threatening to withhold the entire education budget if they have uh, if they don't fire any woke teachers. Those that's the power plays you have to do to sit there and really um, fight against what's going on in our school system. Yeah, that's, that's that's a huge component there. We've seen so much stuff from school board meetings, everything regarding medical freedoms, masks, and and stuff like that. We talk about it on the show all the time. I have two elementary age school children they go to a charter school and they've haven't seen a lot of the uh woke curriculum as of yet however they've endured several months like a year plus of the whole covid narrative uh, we are the only country by the way that masks children yeah we are the only no one else is doing this i was i was walking down the street i'm from new york if you couldn't tell by my accent, I was walking on the street and I saw kids in the playground with masks on and the parents or the teachers rather did not have masks on. And I just wanted to, I literally wanted to lose my, I was losing my mind, but I wanted to scream. This is child abuse. What you're doing is actually abusing these kids. China banned masking children this week. Kind of interesting. I saw that. All of Europe is banned masking. No yeah. one else is doing what we are doing. We are doing the 
the reason I think, and I'm not a scientist, so don't take my word for it, but I think a big part of the reason that we are having the problems that we are having in this country is because we are a fat country that loves smoking. I yeah. think those two yeah. things are, I think, I think if we really want to um, stop the curb, we could have sat there and tried to all lose 20 pounds. That would have done more stop COVID deaths in my mind than anything that we have been doing as far as staying at home, not seeing one another. And, you know, hoping that this would all go away. It's a virus. It's out there. will be with us, you know, and forever at this forever. point. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And I also think part of that is, uh, you know, when you've blatantly messed up and gone literally against the science as much as, you know, the people who are controlling this narrative has. Well, now they just dug their heels in and they're like, well, now I can't admit I was wrong. That's, so Like we're past doubling down. They're yeah. tripling and quadrupling down now. I mean, even threatening jokingly to all of us our christmases how dare we even think about celebrating them with people um right well joe biden goes to a baseball game with thousands of people and, and hugs everybody in the dugout with no mask on this is but this is but this is the insanity of the situation in our country we've actually politicized a virus yes black lives matter protests are bad are good because you they don't spread viruses yeah but that was my favorite. Fourth of July, Fourth of July barbecues with far less people in less confined spaces, also mostly outdoors, are bad. Um, you know, we certain types of drugs, hydrochloroquine, bad from the perspective of Fauci. Vaccines, good. And then on the on the right, we have the same exact kind of du- dual argument where we sit there, and we 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 politicized medicine. I yeah. mean, it's it's insane to me. I don't understand why. The right wingers are so anti-vax. I don't understand why left wingers are opposed to anything but the vaccine. Right. Um, it, it literally it boggles the mind right now. I don't understand why. I mean, the vaccine was created under the Trump administration. Yep. Um, all of these, all of these, all these not procedures, but medicines, alternative medicines besides the vaccine, they've been around for decades, um, and they've been tested. And, and listen, some of them work, some of them don't work. A lot of doctors just try something. Nonetheless, I, you know, I don't understand. I just, I for the life of me, I cannot fathom the politi- politicization of medicine that is happening right now in this country. Yeah, we'll it's be, one of the stupidest American things we've done lately. Yeah, we'll be getting that Pfizer mectin soon. As soon as they're done changing the name and now more expensive. Yeah, exactly. Making it extra expensive for all of us to have orally, and for, for those who don't want. No, it'll vaccine. be rectally. <laughs> you know what? At this point, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. All right. We covered the super pack. We kind of like laid it out for our audience w- where you're at right now. Let's talk about your book. You said you got another one cooking. Well, I'm more, I'm beginning to work on my second one. I'm almost done with the introduction. My first book was called, it's called they're not listening. Yep. How the elites created the, the uh, created the national populist revolution, which documents and talks about how it's really written for liberals, honestly, but conservatives <laughs> should read it too. It's about how the people who were so shocked that Trump won in 2016, they they couldn't understand, they couldn't see it. And I lay it out how national populism really um, was starting around the entire world. There's no country, no continent, no place on this planet that is immune to national populism. Um, and the issues of sovereignty and immigration and trade and the working class are universal. And I go from countries as diverse as Angola and Chile and um, Colombia to and Brazil to France, Italy, India, Israel, and I chronicle 
the rise of national populism from 1998, when I say the modern wave first began, till um, till till 2019. So it's a 20-year trajectory where you see um, the rise of national populism on a grand scale. And what caused it? And what caused it was um, the beliefs that the elites had towards immigration, towards open borders, towards refugees, towards trade, towards uh, economics. And uh, it's a good research book. I mean, you have 750 citations. So if you want to, you know, you want to send there, none of them are from, you know, some bogus website. They're all very, very well sourced. So um, if you want to have a quick rebuttal to any of your liberal friends who don't understand it, and you want to have the documentation to back it up, that's the book to get. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I, I've read a portion of it and it's definitely a good read. I, I went in thinking that I was going to be so focused on, you know, stuff in the United States. And then as you kind of like get into the pages, you realize, like you just said, it's got more of a global perspective on how it kind of relates to everything that eventually kind of took shape in 2015 and 2016 here. Um, well, yeah, because I, I, sorry, I, but I wrote it like that because the immigration chapter starts off in Angola. Yep. Um, because first thing a leftist will say is you can't deport illegals. That's racist. So I talk about Angola. Angola has a huge problem of illegal aliens from Congo. Now, they're all black. We're talking about 100% black population, those who favor deportation and those who are against it. Right. And those who are being deported. And they deported something like 80,000 Congolese in like six weeks. Something insane, some insane number. Illegal immigration is not a case of can a country stop illegal immigration and can a country deport illegal aliens. It's a matter of willpower. Right. And the lack of willpower from countries like the United States, where it is now a multi-generational crisis, to countries that actually operate and work hard to stop it and to end it, like the Congo, like Israel, um, like India, they have the willpower to try to do something, and we just don't yet. Yeah, we, we definitely do. Or our leaders don't. That's the yeah. bigger. Yeah, I definitely think the uh, there's been some polls out recently that shows there's a large group of both sides of the aisle who favor mass deportation and more of a streamlined, reworked immigration system other than what we have now. I think a well, lot of Americans that. are just too nice. Like yeah. They're just, yeah. They're, they just want, and they want to be perceived as nice. So we're having a complete open border, a breakdown of law and order on, on our in our southern border, and they hate it. But and but the minute that somebody and they then they crave you know stricter border control and deportations, and the minute someone comes in and sits there and says that, and the media screams that's racist, a majority of Americans say, "Oh, this might be too tough." Right. We just we we I think we desire the right things, but also want to be perceived as nice, and we just need we need somebody who doesn't care about the feelings uh, the, behind that. Because no one, I mean, Trump did not lose uh, his reelection because he was too tough on immigration. No. Absolutely not. No one no one cares. Many people screaming the New York Times uh, and the Washington, Washington Post about immigration. At the end of the day, no American was voting for him because he, or voting against him because he was too tough on immigration. No, that's an excellent point. It segues us into the next thing I want to talk about. It's the current administration. Obviously, between the end of January and now, we've seen a huge change. Everything from, as we just mentioned, immigration through the economy, taxes, inflation, uh, you name it, it's different than it was previous to January 20th. What is your kind of take on where we are right now? I mean, anyone who watches the news, even if it's skewed news, can't see too much good of it coming out lately. 
what, what what's yeah. your kind of whole perspective on, on just the, the shape of the country like at, in real time? I think the biggest issue going to this election is going to be inflation. Yeah, I think inflation is eat. Listen, we are finally because of a tighter labor force because pe- women especially have dropped out of the labor force to take care of children or elderly parents, uh, and we've had a depressed amount of uh, immigration, which is a good thing. Um, since Trump's administration will probably be ramped up now next year, even though they are all carrying COVID. Um, we will. Um, we, we've seen a tighter labor market, so wages are on the in- uh, increase. I mean. You know, you were seeing McDonald's and Chick-fil-A start at $15, $16, $17 an hour. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that with the rising cost of inflation, all of those gains made by the working class are being eaten away. Uh, and I think that that is that hidden tax that we are all going through right now that is being felt by the working class. Um, so I think that that is, um, especially by the working class and people on fixed incomes like senior citizens. And those are two big groups that are um, that voted heavily for Biden or swung, or swung to Biden, seniors who were scared of COVID. Um, but, you know, if you're living on just that Social Security check, it's going to be much, much harder as prices for gas and, and meat and, and, and living increasing substantially. Um, I think that's a huge, huge issue. I think I think that crime will continue to be a big issue and soft on crime policies aren't going to be popular. Um, look, I think that I, I think that. It would take a miracle at this point, given what's going on in this administration, for the Republicans not to win the House representatives back and probably the Senate back. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be it would take a miracle on behalf of Joe Biden for, to do something. But Joe Biden's problem, from what I've observed and talked to people in, in Congress, um, Biden is acting like a senator yes. who's waiting for the majority leader to tell him what to do. That's how he's acting in the White House. That is why he cannot whip votes for his agenda. That is why he and also the fact that he went. I mean, he went further left than Obama did in 08. And Obama had a supermajority in the House and Senate. And he had a mandate. Obama is most Obama in 08 was the most popular elected president since George H.W. Bush, yeah. whether we like that or not. He had a national mandate to do something. And he had this huge majority to do it with. Um, Biden doesn't even have close to that. And yet he's moved much further to the left. And I think that had he been, you know, a smidge towards the center, had he said, OK, we're going to do two or three things rather than all of them, you would not have Manchin and cinema and the moderates and the progressives in the Democratic caucus in the House feuding like they are and saying this is unacceptable. I think that uh, I think that his his going in the middle of the road and possibly taking some blue district Republicans with him could have easily pushed away any of the concerns the progressives had on the AOC voting block. Yeah. That progressive caucus is uh it's a pretty big deal. And uh, it, it's been kind of a thorn in, the, in their side since the beginning. Um, talking about the election, what do you feel like was the major issues? Now, listen, if you don't want to weigh in on like the election fraud and all this other stuff that's going on, that's completely fine. But in regards to uh, just the generality of the numbers, We've talked about it on the show. We've had several people on, you know, kind of are all in agreement. The increased vote total for, for Donald Trump in 2020 pretty much says it was not a referendum on orange man bad. Uh, you know, you increase your vote total by anywhere between 10 and 11 million votes. Uh, the amount of, uh, you know, uh, bellwether states and counties won overall vote total just in general. Uh, wh- where did we uh, not 
connect. I, I mean, I, I know I know people say it's kind of a referendum on uh, the pandemic, but at the end of the day, the country still seems to be, if not more, aggravated with the pandemic right now than it Oof. was, you know, the last year and a half of the Trump administration. Well, I have said this. I said this the day that it was announced that Trump lost. I said this about Trump's presidency, and I'll say it now. Had Ivanka married Tom Brady instead of Jared Kushner, he would have had a second term. I like that. Um, Jared Kushner was, I'm sorry for the noise in the background. Uh, Jared Kushner was uh, an imbecile. He was wrong and he was wrong all the time. Um, He was pushing Trump to change the names of Confederate um, forts a few weeks before Election Day. Right. He was, I mean, he didn't understand the base. And no, more importantly, not only understanding the base, he hated the base. I have, I spoke to, I throughout this entire Trump's administration, um, I spoke to people in the White House and in Jared's office particularly, who constantly told him, "You need to do more for white men. You need to do more for the base." And he turned to them. Uh, I won't say the curse word, but he said, he said um, to them, "I built them an effing wall. What more do those rednecks want?" That was Jared Kushner's view of Trump's base. It's how he felt about them. He was embarrassed by them. He didn't want them to be his voters. He wanted black voters. He wanted uh, cosmopolitans. He wanted uh, a diverse coalition. And he spent so much time and so much capital trying to increase that black vote by what was it three percent? Yes. That he he lost two percent or three percent of white men, and that's what cost him the entire election. I mean, it's 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 simple math. Um, I think that Jared was an imbecile and, and that the message got lost. I think Trump's response to COVID was bad. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way to say I mean, Operation Warp Speed was brilliant and he should get every acolyte in the world. And when that uh, MRN medicine goes on to cure cancer and, and AIDS, um, you know, it will be the biggest irony in the world that Mike Pence led an effort that eventually cured AIDS. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this is but this is the truth. That was brilliant going on to do daily telethons where you're talking about things like injecting bleach, which I know is not exactly what he said, but that was how it was interpreted. Right. Extremely problematic. Fauci giving misrepresented information every single way and telling people that the, the virus would be gone is was stupid because it gives expectations that aren't true or um, aren't really foreseeable yes and they are they are and it's it's and and that's why biden by the way is suffering so badly with the virus stuff too because he said he's beat COVID, right yeah biden said i'll beat COVID. that's impossible and they're lying to you yeah and people were so desperate for the lies and a lot of them were seniors who were genuinely afraid of for their life but instead of you know talking honestly to the american people you had trump saying a lot of things he shouldn't have said you have the you know, retard lieutenant governor of Texas going off saying seniors should die for, you know, the economy. Uh, Talk about like a golden calf moment. And I think that it projected very badly upon Republicans. And I think if he had a a sober effort to do that, it would have been good. And I think the other problem with COVID, and this is what frustrates me so badly, is the administration was so badly managed and so badly, the hires were so awful, and they all came from either the RNC or Jared Kushner, um, that when when COVID hit, and the nation that defeated the Nazis and the Soviets couldn't have ventilators or masks, 
we should have all sat there and said there's a real problem in this country. And yep. we all talked and we all Democrats and Republicans all agreed we need to bring supply chains home. That effort still two years later hasn't happened. Yeah. We don't have any supply chains home. Trump should have sat there and said, I'm going to bring supply chains home, but I'm not just going to bring them home. I'm not going to just issue a tariff and say, OK, free market, wherever that aspirin company goes, that's great. No, incentivize the companies to go to Erie County, Pennsylvania, Mahoning County, Ohio, Macomb County, Michigan, uh, uh, counties in, in northern Georgia. Sit there and work with the private sector in a public-private partnership. Say, what do you need to go into these areas, these depressed areas that have been killed by free trade for 40 years, and give something to your voting base. Give something to the working class that voted for you like never before. Offer them something. Sit there and say, I'm going to actually bring back manufacturing in a real way because our country needs it. Our country was 100% in support of this as they were shutting all immigration down at this point and use all that political capital he amassed in such a short period of time to make real fundamental changes. The problem I have with the whole uh, the election was a fraud thing is it allows us to say, well, the campaign and, and, and the White House were perfect. Oh, no, they, they weren't. They perfect. were far they, from it. Yeah, no. They, how does a campaign that has two hundred million dollars or hundred million dollars a week before election day have no money right afterwards? Where did all the money go? Where did all the money go? I don't. I just. I would love somebody to sit there and put somebody. Where did the money go? Because they had endless amounts of money, and all of a sudden they had none, and it was a matter of days. Um, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why was Jared Kushner, who has no political experience whatsoever, why did he run the 2016 campaign, 2020 campaign? Why did he get Susie Wilds, who is a genius? She is a absolute political genius. She ran Scott in 2016, 2018 in Florida. She ran um, DeSantis in Florida, and she ran Trump's campaign in Florida in 2016. Why was she barred from the 2020 campaign by Jared? Why did Jared sit there and hire all of his henchmen, by the way, who are still around Trump, they are, they are now running his organizations, his PACs. Why are they? Um, why are they? Why were they still around? If we refuse to sit there and ask these questions, and I know there's a lot of Trump supporters who are like, "Yes, I'm behind him for 2024." Where have we seen any indication he would not make those same exact mistakes four years later? You know, it was so obviously uh, it, it was it was chronicled. Afterwards, the first 18 months of the Trump campaign, I'm sorry, the Trump administration post the election, I mean, after the shock wore off, mm-hmm. you had all of those people that were around him, the the Chris Christie hires and all of these people that were so entrenched in D.C. that only you, you knew they were in it for the big ticket. They were going to get their two million dollar a year uh, lobby group jobs as the minute he got out of there and they were going to do nothing except ride those coattails for three years because they knew they could just pump the brakes and it probably wouldn't happen again in 2020, uh, which just, you know, sure enough was the case. I, I definitely think moving forward, you know, there's a lot of people who are already starting to prophesize that, that stuff. There's, there's people who were involved with his uh, original campaign, namely Steve Bannon, who's, you know, he has an extremely huge influence on the entire Republican party right now. It seems like he's wedged his way back in there, whether Donald Trump wants him to be, uh, working on the campaign or not? What, what, what do you? F- there are some influencers out there who are trying to, 
you know, write this shit. But they even talk about his uh, his legal counsel in the White House, like Dave Ciparelli. Like that guy was mm-hmm. was awful all the way up and through, you know, uh, January sixth and then through January twentieth, just giving him bad info and saying that there was nothing he could do except suck it up and eat it. Um, right. What do you think about some of these influencers that are out there trying to kind of give him the heads up as he, you know, because part of me thinks Trump goes out there and he he, he kind of thinks wherever he goes, he's going to land on a plane. There's going to be 40, 50,000 people there, which there will be. It doesn't matter pretty much where he goes and, and everything's going to be all well and good. He's he's buffered his war chest back up over one hundred and fifty million dollars uh, going into the midterms. Yeah, uh, but you know, you start to see some of these people he's endorsing, and you're like, eh, he's kind of like middle of the road rhino yeah. Republicans, and you know, they've vote voted for open borders, and they voted for immigration. They're all supporting Mitch McConnell, exactly. And it's it's he's the- not an endorsed name. He has not endorsed a single senator's opponent aside from Lisa Murkowski. Yeah, in and I mean, he's gonna. He, I, did he endorse John Thune? I think if I, he endorsed, I'm pretty sure he endorsed John Thune. Who one is not announced he's running for re-election, and two is Mitch McConnell's number two. Right. So, as I said before, give me some faith. Give me one thing to notice that he's not going to be the same person he was for four years, where he surrounds himself with people who want to make sure his agenda fails. Because right now, those people are around him. He hired them all again. They all came from Jared's office or Jared's suggestion. His PAC is like, not his PAC, but his nonprofit, uh, the America First Principles Organization, full of people who hate Donald Trump. Actually, they just hired like this little Venezuelan kid who is not even an American citizen who's pro open borders to be like a spokesperson. So I just and and by the way, I never want and and I have to talk about I mean, I don't I don't want to bash people because I've no I've no no, you know, I'm not earning anything to bash anybody. I would be very, 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 very hesitant from getting any advice from one person in particular, and that is General Flynn. I would never, ever listen to an endorsement he had. I would never listen to advice that he had. The man is a Democrat his whole life. uh, Maybe recently he changed political novice. And his big campaign suggestion in 2016, right before the third debate or second debate with Hillary, he told Trump in front of a room full of people, I have the hidden idea. This is what you should do to beat Hillary in the debate. Come out as pro-choice. Oof. Come at mid-debate, just say, I'm pro-choice. I'm for a woman's right to choose. People I know that were there, they said they, the people were trying to strangle him because <laughs> it was so insane. He has never had a good idea. Um, and I, I do, the fact that he's now a quote unquote influencer makes me nuts. I mean, he ran work for Obama for eight years proudly. Right. No, that's a, that, that's definitely a good point. And people have short term memories because of, you know, a lot of the stuff that it, it's been such a roller coaster over the last year and a half that they kind of see these people prominently moving to the front. Well, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to say one thing. If all you know someone from if all their resume is, is having an Instagram account or have briefly meeting Trump or working for him for about 30 seconds, I would highly doubt listening to them or giving them any kind of, uh, you know, and you might only know me from Twitter. That's fine. You don't have to listen to me, but there's <laughs> other people. I mean, whatever. I don't care. I have a real job. I mean, I, this is, I'm not, you know, I don't make a living off being Ryan Gerdusky. I make a living because I work. But the people who literally make their living by just promoting themselves and doing endless stuff because they have happened to be in the Trump orbit for a brief period of time, very distrustful overall. 
That was a good point, and definitely from a an outside eye looking in, it's not necessarily the narrative that we get on this show all the time, but however, we do want to keep our listening audience and just as informed as it is, you, you guys have to do your own research when it comes down to uh, matters like that because you, you romanticize with these people sometimes just based on you know where they are and what they're doing and what they're saying. However, it doesn't take that long to go and uh, find their LinkedIn profile and check out their resumes and, and what right. they've done. And also, like, who, what candidates are they supporting? Are they supporting complete whack, not whack jobs? Or are they supporting establishment people? Uh, you know, I'm not going to mention many names, but I know, and I work in the race in Ohio, so I, you know, I'm supporting JD Vance. I work for his super PAC. Um, you know, but there are candidates that I could see anti-establishment people backing, and then there are candidates that I could definitely see anti-establishment people not backing because they are establishment. Jane Timken was the head of the Ohio GOP, as establishment as it gets supported the, the guy who voted to impeach Trump. And she seems to be getting a lot of praise from a lot of very, quote unquote, Trump anti-establishment people. And I sit there and say, huh, that's strange. You have to remember, politics is a very, very difficult industry to break into. Yeah. I started working when I was 19. I only really broke in when I was 30. So after 10 years of working my ass off, struggling, you know, fighting for every job, learning almost every skill that can come from campaign work. Um, I finally got a career going myself at 31 years old. Um, pretty late to start your career, not super late, but pretty late. It's very, very difficult. You either have to be like me and work 80 hour weeks, which is what I work. Or if you can coast by by being a, you know, political celebrity and getting hundreds of thousands of followers on social media, you can also make money by giving speeches and selling influence towards candidates. That happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it happens literally all the time. So I, all I would say is hearing that your favorite personality you've seen on Newsmax or Fox News is not reason enough to go, you know. And now if you hear, by the way, 30 or 40 of them are, okay, there might be a reason for that. If you hear like, you know, this person who did a great job and that person does a great job and this senator and that congressman and then this person, that person, and they're all, maybe there's something to that. Maybe that person has some legitimacy because they're all being backed by him. But if you just hear a few people who you only see on Instagram or on Twitter and they are on television or maybe they have a radio show, whatever, and they're gung-ho backing this person over and over and over again, all I'm saying is I would do a little research myself on some key important issues before backing that candidate. What are the policies they actually stand for? You, you know, that's great that you brought that up and, and pointed it out. So uh, intricately like that one name that we always talk about on this show, we hate bashing him. We thank him for his service. Uh, Senator Ugh. Crenshaw. Out oh, of Texas. thank God. I hate Dan Crenshaw. I mean, if, if you're kind of so in the America first movement, I don't know how you could not hate him. So, I mean, he spends all of these millions of dollars, like you said, making these commercials, endorsing rhino uh, candidates. Remember that commercial in Georgia that he made where he was jumping out of an airplane? Yeah, it was like an Avengers movie. He was like, he was like, get the troops ready. Then he jumped out of an airplane by himself. And then he didn't, I mean, then he did nothing in Georgia and he, they lost. And he's never met an open borders free immigration yeah. policy that he hasn't voted with the Democrats on. And also gun control. Well, yeah, that's most recently uh, some of those things that he he went on the record saying, don't worry, those things get shot down in committee, almost pun intended. But it's still, you can't put your names on those things when you run on the other, even though, like you've pointed out and we've pointed out for such a long time, that's a lot of the things that they do. Well, I don't get the benefit of voting yes on it. 
even if you think it's not going to make it. Like, right. Just vote no, then. Yeah. If it's not going to make it, then. Then just vote matter. no. Yeah. You know, but here's here's the thing that uh, boggles the mind. This is what I say to every candidate that I consult. I say to them, if you are in charge of the government today, and I mean you had you had complete say, how would this country look differently in ten years? And I don't want you to say the words freedom, liberty, free market, or justice. Give me no buzzwords. I want you to describe it. If I am a twenty-five-year-old, either recent college graduate or I went to a, a school to learn a skill, um, you know, welding or something. And how would my country look differently in 10 years? How would you improve my life? If I'm 65 and I'm about to retire, how would you change my life? If you cannot describe it to me without using buzzwords that are nonsense, um, I don't, uh, you, you're not going to be a part of the solution. And I stress it so heavily on candidates. Speak to voters the way Bernie Sanders and AOC speaks to voters. Right. They lay out a vision. The reason why Trump's wall was so great was that, Everyone knows what a wall looks like. Right. Everyone knows. Everyone can touch it, feel it. They know what a wall looks like. It is a perfect, uh, 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 you know, idea. You know exactly what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to get when people sit there and say, we're going to let the market and have freedom and deliver liberty. That means nothing. That means literally nothing. Those are buzzwords for primarily boomers to write checks. Exactly. Don't actually lay out something concrete that people care about. If I have to hear the word socialism one more time. I'm going to blow my fucking brains. <laughs> but, like, it's just the truth, you know, and, and Dan Crenshaw will be the first one to sit there and scream socialism, 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 how, and, and Venezuela, talk about Venezuela every 45 second chance that you get. How did Hugo Chavez get democratically elected in Venezuela? It wasn't because he promised socialism. It was because he ran on the idea of racial consciousness. He said, they hate me because I look like you. You're poor because white Spaniards, uh, white Venezuelans rather, the descendants of Spaniards are wealthy. Uh, They don't like me because my nose is wider and my hair is curlier. It was racial identitarian from beginning to end. That is what we are seeing in this country. It is working as thoroughly. And the Dan Crenshaw will sit there and bash Venezuela, but won't talk about racial identitarianism and the problems with it and what's going on. So you're going to get the same result because you're, you're not, I mean, for someone who, you know, fought in the military and was injured, um, he's really not very brave on this issue. No, it's that's that's definitely an, a great point and one that we point out on on a regular basis. You know, because if it comes down to it, at the end of the day, like you said, he and he's a combination too. He's he's an influencer and and you know already sitting. Well, in he's a, in with that TP USA crowd, and he's very good on television. I give him credit. He's excellent on TV. He can explain a situation, and he's funny. And my God, Pete Davidson. I mean, he uh, you know he freaking stuck us with him on a national level because he decided to make fun of him. It's pretty interesting that he does the Turning Point USA stuff in yeah. contrast to the Alex Soros-sponsored uh, Young <laughs> Globalist convention he used to do back in the early 2000s. <laughs> so, But but it, it's like you made that point with General Flynn. Like, General Flynn, whether you want to admit it or not, he's a prominent face at the pretty close to the tip of the spear of the Trump campaign right now, whether it's scary or or, or something that you don't think is true. It is. And, you know, 10 years ago, he was in a very different spot. And, so- I just, and he says, I, name one thing General Flynn ever said. said, wow, that makes me think. Name one thing he's ever said. He worked for Obama for eight years, lifelong Democrat, super pro-choice, wanted Trump to be pro-choice, fired for lying to Pence in the first few weeks. And then all of a sudden 
he's the most inf- one of the most influential Republicans. And I have no personal problem with him. I've had dinner with him. I have literally. I wish him well. I hope he's you know happy. Everything's going well. But why the hell is this man an influencer on politics? Right. Especially Republican politics. Once again, no personal animosity whatsoever. Wish him well. What is he doing? Why is him? Why? Why are some people hoping he will be a vice presidential candidate? Like this makes no sense to me. And it is our knee jerk reaction on the right to, and it, you know, to sit there and say, well, the left hates him. Therefore he must be great. And to this knee jerk inflection, and I guess it's human nature. So, I mean, the left does it too, but this knee jerk reaction, I want to talk less about having, about defending people that the left is attacking and more about what is our long-term strategies for winning. That's why I'm doing this school board thing. I'm hoping that in 2022, it's in the very early works right now, so I don't know if all the time for it, but hopefully if we win school board elections, I'm going to try to make the first national association of school board members for conservatives. So that way we can actually create legal defense funds and work on, you know, I want to have a long-term strategy, and this is my little contribution towards it, as well as supporting other candidates. What are these other people's long-term strategies? What are they contributing besides giving speeches to people who are already in the base? That is the question I would like to know. Most of them contribute very little or nothing. That's 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 a a great point you make. It, it can't always be about making America great again. Again, yeah, you know it is. It is, but you're not going to own the libs, and you're not going to do anything by writing on Twitter. That's not going to do something. Get out there. Go to the gym, work out, make sure your kids aren't heroin, make them read some, I don't know, classical Greek literature and understand why the West is the best civilization ever. Right. And then go and, and I, I understand everyone has something to do. I get it. But go out there and do one contributive thing, uh, you know, a month, whether that be attend one event or knock on a few doors one week in a month or, um, you know, even get your local neighborhood to sit there and I don't know, have meetings within your block of like 50 or 60 people. So you, there's strength in numbers. So you could vote and demand something from your politicians. So that way you could hold an event with a local congressman and say, you know, we have 75 voters here. We have a concern on this one particular thing. These are things that you do to build strength. There is a reason that voters who vote in blocks sit there and get the most respect and get listened to by the politicians because they actually have something that they care about. One or two people posting online, it's great, but it's not actually doing something for you. Yep, I'm sorry for going on an insane rant. I've no. had a lot of coffee today. <laughs> there's a lot of people that need to hear that, and there's a lot of people who, you know, they have it in their hearts to want to be part of the solution, but they need sometimes, um, you know, and I'm just going to say it, a kick in the ass from someone like you who kind of just sees so We it. need more people ranting about what needs to happen yeah. besides us and besides you. Yeah. And- right, right. Well, I mean, but I, but I, look, once again, like, you know, I write a lot and I'm on television, but that being Ryan Gerdusky is not the full time job um, of me to sit there and promote myself. So that way, you know, you pay me to give a speech. Right. It's great when that happens, but that d- does not pay my bills. Going out and working does and doing things that are, you know, to, to have campaigns and to win campaigns and to build organizations. That's what pays my job, my bills. I'm just naturally very distrustful of people whose bills are being paid from being their name. That makes me a little, that makes me a little worrisome. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. 
So we're in kind of a weird spot right now as a nation. We're, we're definitely still in, think? The, well, in the transition phase from one administration to the next. I, I don't think we've gotten to the bottom or seen the worst of it yet. Um, Ryan, what do you think short term moving in towards 2022? Where do we go from here? What is your give us like a political forecast of what you see? It's not getting any better. I mean, the economy is not getting better. Loss of energy independence. The, the, you've got hundreds of ships off both coasts of the country just sitting there not delivering products. I Empty know, shelves in the right. store. You have the you know inflation rate, which averaged, I believe, 1.4 percent during the trump administration now is over five percent consistently uh we're entering the holiday season fuel prices are through the roof yeah gas was expensive last night it's it's sure i mean i drive a a prius right now and it costs almost fifty dollars to fill it every week that's ridiculous it used to cost me twenty dollars to fill it nine months ago it's gonna rain tonight and i'm still gonna ride my motorcycle to work yeah it's just one of those things what do you see you know are, are are we heading towards now I'm sorry, I forgot to add. You've got China really puffing their chest out o- over Taiwan. Over Taiwan, right. That's the, um, that's the one thing we're missing is an international. Into- I mean, we had the Afghanistan thing, but that was kind of self-induced. We haven't had one that was uh, provoked yet. What do you think? I think that, I mean, I think that inflation is going to keep the election. I think the really scary thing is going to come next year when finally most of Biden's immigration stuff gets put through. And what we see, you know, Five million people cross the border in a single Oof. year, or four million people cross the border in a single year illegally, and most of them, like most of the Haitians that just came over, will get in. Um, I think, and then I think that's very problematic, and it forces the Republican Party to take a different position. We used to be just anti-amnesty; now it has to be pro-repatriation. Um, yes, we have to. So there, anyone who came in in the last five years. You're not just not getting amnesty. You're getting deported. There's zero, zero, zero opportunity. You are getting deported. Um, my here's my biggest. I have two big worries. One is that Trump runs for election in 2024 and loses to Kamala. That's constantly my fear. Oof, but gosh, I let's can't say see that. let's say let's say he doesn't. Let's say he says, okay, I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my life, and we get a really competent person to be president. Um, there is a chance, given the electoral map, let's say 20, and this is all a lot of ifs, but bear with me. Let's say 2022 is a wave election, as it very well may be gearing up to be. And Republicans wake up on election day with a majority in the House and 53 Senate seats. 2024, if it is a rejection of Biden and Kamala is the most unlikable human being on the planet, which, which she is, is. <laughs> and she loses, um, Republicans may wake up on 2024 with... 55 plus U.S. senators, a Republican president and a Republican Congress near unanimous ability to do anything that they want. And what they will do is more tax cuts and nothing popular. And there's no grand vision. Uh And that is my fear. That is my long term three year fear that are probably the Republican Party maybe the last chance to have a the best majority since Grover Cleveland or yeah. since uh, Herbert Hoover are squandered away by by the morons who run the party. Um, and I think that right now, um, a long-term vision should be crafted on things like manufacturing, on things like energy, on things like immigration. Where are the plans and who are running the plans? And I talk to members of Congress all the time about that. That is my big fear. Um, but as far as 2022 goes, I would say more immigration crises on the rise, yeah, uh, higher inflation, 
and a Republican Congress. Those are my, I mean, and I don't make predictions. So this is my, if I had to gun to my head, I had to guess. That's what I would say. You think this Republican Congress has the political balls to put the brakes on this administration, like 100% nonbipartisan mm. stuff? Here's the thing, like, here's what people don't understand. Everyone loves the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gates right. of her GOP, right? They say the right things. They vote mostly the right way. Yep. Problem is, is that they isolate themselves in their in their positions so they don't actually get the power to run you know leadership and that's in the house where all the power comes from it comes from being in leadership um and of all the one leadership i mean kevin mccarthy my god Ugh. uh steve scalise is horrible elise stefanik just ran she's from my state she just ran an ad saying democrats are going to give a permanent majority to themselves if they get an amnesty through she voted for two amnesties 14 months ago. She sure did. She's the biggest oh, she's the biggest hypocrite. Jason Smith from Missouri is fantastic. Jim Banks is good, although I, I speak to him very frequently and I always tell him he could be better, but he's pretty good. Um and and he runs the RSC and and uh and Jason Smith's a head of budget on in the Republicans right now in the house right now. But besides that, my God, there's really no safe place to rest your eyes. And I think that everyone running, I keep telling Congress people, candidates this, who are running for Congress who have a serious chance of winning, don't just try to be a bomb thrower. Right. Run for leadership. Like support each other in leadership. Get positions where you're running committees so you can sit there withhold all the horrible bills and make sure yours get at least through committee and try to get to a House vote. But this is how you take over the party. It's not enough just to elect the loudest voice. It's about electing the smartest voice. Yeah, we've we've pointed out uh, several times, especially more recently, we're starting to really have some good conversations about it. You know, we've had a lot. There are some really good candidates running this year. I mean, some really, really. I mean, 2018 and 2020 were bad years. Yeah, they were. We had a lot of bad candidates. We actually have a lot of good candidates this year. So there's hope. I mean, there is actual hope right now that we're going to have some really good, decent people in Congress. And and if they get the attention and they get the money and they play well with others, they could be absolutely running the party. I just don't want to see them only running on we're fixing the 2020 election. And that's like, yeah, you're yes, I know, You're absolutely right. And I keep asking people who want to, you know, they want to scream about dominion voting. Okay. What voting system would you like? And yeah. they never have an answer. Like, what voting system do you want? Give me what you want. They want paper and ballots. I, that's what they want. They want paper ballots again. <laughs> well, you know, who was for paper ballots actually was Hillary Clinton back in 20, I think 2012 or 2010. She's talking about the, the need for paper ballots. And she complained about dominion voting. But paper ballots is how Democrats stuffed the ballot in places like Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And, so, now, and now appearing in Georgia. Yeah. And, and, and George, I mean, I went to Georgia right after the, uh, during the runoff. And when I went there, I was dumbfounded. And this is what I find in a lot of Southern states. Florida is not a Southern state, so I'm not counting that. Okay. Their political machine is actually very effective and good. And Joe yeah. Gruders, who is their state senator and party chairman, is fabulous. A lot of Southern states just don't believe they can lose. You know, I meet these people in Virginia still who are like, you know, I, I, I don't think we can lose. Are you awake? You've lost for the last 15 years straight. <laughs> yeah. But these people, I mean, they really are delusional. And when I was in Georgia, I felt the same exact thing. A lot of old people running the party 
who have the good old boy pat on the bat system and say, oh, no, we can't lose. Yeah, you can. And you're going to lose faster than you sit there and recognize. Um, I'm going to Alabama tomorrow to work on a campaign. And I'm going to talk to them constantly about you can lose in Alabama. I know it seems impossible. I know it's a 60-40 state. I know you don't think you can lose, but you can 100% lose. It doesn't take that much work. So here's how you don't lose. Um, and uh, yeah, and I blame a lot of that on the Secretary of State, the, both uh, the current one and the interim one. After Kemp became governor, there was interim Secretary of State. He left his job early. Yep. And it was this lady, and she, I'm sure she was nice, but she's the one who did Motor Voter. Yeah. She's the one who did all the things that Stacey Abrams wanted. And this current Secretary of State, which I'm shocked that Republicans aren't talking about, his goal for voter outreach, this was a, a public thing he wanted for, for the Secretary of State office to pay for. He wanted to pay Cardi B <laughs> to run commercials to, influence, to, to push people to vote. Now, what group of people do you think Cardi B has any sway with at all whatsoever in this in this entire country, let alone in Georgia? Um, I don't even want to go there. Yeah, I'm just, but I'm you can all picture in your head. Yes. They ain't people who want to vote for Donald Trump. No. I'm just saying, if they're playing WAP in their house, they're probably not voting for Trump. Yeah, we got Nicki Minaj now. So, she, she, yeah, oh, yes. She's our, our great, uh, our great, uh, you know, we hero. got a cage match. So, yeah, hopefully not, not speaking at the, uh, RNC convention in uh, 2024. Listen, we're getting ready to cut with you, Ryan, but you know, you mentioned in the beginning, you said you're just getting the ideas together for a new book. I don't yes. care. Just tell us what, what, what kind of the focus is going to be. So the book is called, the working title is called white boy. Oh, and okay. it is about race. It's a perspective of race from a white man's perspective in America. I grew up in the nineties and I grew up with very positive black figures in culture. I grew up with Will Smith on my TV and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I had, I watched Sister Sister on the Disney channel. I mean, I had very positive influences of black people in my life. And there was an, and, and, and my second cousins who are, who are biracial, uh, but there was positive influences of black people throughout my life in both pop culture and personal wise. And the overarching idea in our country, our, uh, secular morality was colorblindness. We were not going to judge people based upon the, their skin color. It was the departure of what had happened 40 years ago in this country, and it was our real, real experiment. And then I got to my mid-30s, and that concept of colorblindness is in itself racist now. And now we must only view people based on their skin color, and that is the priority. So I talk about, it's, a, it's in memoir format, so I'm kind of brushing through my brain of memories of racial interactions that left an impression on me and then talking about how we speak to white men in this country in a negative way, how white people are now viewing themselves and our inability to sit there and have a dialogue on race. We have guilt trips on race. We do not have dialogues on race. So if this book doesn't get me canceled and ruin my entire life, hopefully it'll be out next year. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's going to be a good read. I'm very interested. Now, you talked about some of the uh, popular uh, culture figures during that time. You said you were uh, from the New York area, so I'm going to ask, Big Ear Tupac. Oh, but you, uh, see, they were dead, but when I was too young, so I never really listened to them as an adult, I would say Biggie Smalls, but correct um, answer. Okay. But yeah, I mean, he was a fantastic rapper and I, 
I'm not the biggest rap fan in the world, but I actually know his music. I don't think I know much of Tupac's music. So, but and I, you know, I am an East Coaster. But uh, yeah, I think that I think that uh, I think that we we you know I I'm talking. So the book opens up with when I was nine years old. I was at a family vacation, and there was, we were out in you know a hotel pool. I'm, I'm Italian. My whole family vacations together. You know not just my immediate family, second cousins, cousins, people that you are calling your cousins who are not in fact even related to you, that kind of, you know, Same. Ordeal where, you, <laughs> Same. Yeah, where you have 75 people at a thing, at a barbecue. And yep. It's just the family. So um, we're at one of these outdoor pools. And I remember, I remember I was always a germaphobe my whole life. And I looked into the water and it's full of dead bugs and leaves, normal hotel things. And there was a black family in the pool. And uh, I remember not wanting to go in because I said the pool was dirty because there was dead leaves and bugs in the pool. And my aunt pulled me to the siding in this whole lecture about, um, do you think the pool's dirty because there's black people in the pool? And at that age, it had never crossed my mind. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember it really sticking to me and saying, oh, she must be telling me this because some people think black people are dirty. And it really, I, that was the first moment I ever had in my life that I can remember that I remember people's race is is something bigger than just the fact they have skin color there's right. something attached to that and that's how i open it and i you know i talk about like when i was in college and obama won and the white liberals in the class w- walked around hugging every black person and i thought that they were insane <laughs> and like i couldn't understand these the first person to ever call me uh checked my privilege was a fat jewish lesbian who was both her parents were lawyers and she had a house in the Hamptons. And meanwhile, my parents were a cop and a computer t- uh, technician person. So a technology person. So, I mean, I came from a working class background. Yeah. And she told me to check. So all these memories that I'm incorporating through it, through the experience of what I feel like most white people of my generation have gone through. And now we're looking at the world gone mad and we're not having an honest conversation about race. I don't think we even talk about it because no. our parents couldn't talk about it. So it's all those things. And it will probably force me to my brother to change his last name. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, now you just have uh, news organizations like the New York Times trying to rewrite it. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, or actually, there's since so so something interesting that was in my last book that will also be in this book. The year Michael Brown died, uh-huh. the terms whiteness, white uh, guilt, uh, uh, um, uh, white white all those terms, all those woke terminologies exploded in the dialogue around like two or three hundred percent the year michael brown died and they never went down like there is literally a line you could look at what terms like whiteness are ever being used or racism or systemic racism and you see it spike when michael brown dies and it just stays there continuously from Mm. 2014 on i haven't said in a while but uh thanks obama (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh man listen ryan we have a very interactive audience uh they love getting into uh it with the people that we have on our show they're going to be excited to hear you today uh i, I wouldn't suggest you give out your cell phone number like anthony sabatini right, because you, right. you will get memes um but unless you're into that sort of thing but besides your super pack we're gonna unless you're gonna send me nudes i mean honestly oh, i'm just oh, joking okay. that was just a joke yeah. that was just a joke um no so um <laughs> where, so where can we find you uh, what? Where can oh, we find- on Twitter at Ryan Gerdusky, Facebook Ryan James Gerdusky, but I don't go on it that often. Uh, Twitter, uh, and then my website, RyanGerdusky.com, where you can read all my past articles are all there. 
um, and all my stuff. And you could buy my book if you would like to. I also have a Substack that I write. I write on nine times a month uh, about deep diving about national populism in what's going on currently. So mm. uh, that's the National Populist Newsletter on Substack, and then my um, my book and my website and Twitter and stuff. And we're going to link all those for you in our show description, and we'll send them to you when the show's up. Thank you so much. Yeah, we hope to have you back. Thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast today. I hope it's you been, liked it. It's been awesome. Yeah, we sure did. Thank you, sir. Well, Noah, what'd you think? That was pretty good. Was it a special edition? So special. Helmet worthy? Yes. You'll know it when you see it. Uh, you know what else I know? Oh. There you go. Where you can listen to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, and Google Podcast. Subscribe to the show, rate it. Don't forget to leave a review. Download, listen, like, follow, and share. Of course, show creds this week for this episode, special edition, pretty easy. Brian Jardusky, thanks for coming on and giving us your political commentary today. Boom. Didn't need any audio clips, and all those accounts we'll be using the rest of the week. We'll get to those tomorrow. Um, as if the internet comes back to life. Forementioned earlier in the show, follow our sponsors, American-owned businesses, and we like to make them great again. Upcoming shows tomorrow. Anna Kate and congressional candidate Amy Van West. It's going to be a great episode. This coming Friday, congressional candidate Trump endorsed out of Michigan, Steve Kara, and in his first podcast appearance, Cagbro. It's going to be a good show. Next week, we've got the Sassy Conservative on Tuesday, and the following Friday, we have Mr. Sheep No More. Lots of good stuff going on with both of them. Definitely influencing one kind of in the movement, one kind of uh, pushing back against the COVID narrative. It's going to be amazing. And then the following Tuesday, which will be the 18th of October, we're going to have Miss Gianna Simone, host of Love Gianna, the celebrity vegan cooking show on Amazon Prime. She's also quite based. Um, That's an odd mix. I like it. It sure is. And I'm excited to hear what she's going to say. You know what else we say at the end of every show? The things you need to do between now and then. Now, there may or may not have been some narratives that you liked over the course of this conversation we had with Ryan Jardusky, but here's the thing. Listen to what the man said, and then go do your own research. Um, I'm sure at the end of the day, you're going to find someone who has that much political contributions and consulting work under his belt is not just going to uh, make those claims without some research done. Hold the line, ride it, buy the dip. Twitter's dipping right now. Mm. Get the fuck in here. Snatch the wigs, ice your balls. Let's see what happens. And of course, where we go one, we go all. This has been special edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 69. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Roan, sitting across from Noah. Yo. Thanks, handsome. Antoinette will be back with us tomorrow. Like I said, when we have Miss Anna Kate and congressional candidate out of California, Amy Fan West. Thanks for listening and take care. <laughs> <laughs>